Welcome to Mirepoix Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Schubach. I'm a writer, theater maker, and food enthusiast, and I'm taking you on a journey through food, family, and culture via the lens of food practice and tradition. Our guest today is Mitchell Robert. Up first, a word from our sponsors. This is Mirepoix. Hi, Mitchell. How are you? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Making it happen. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me on. What a dream. Uh, our first question is, who the heck are you? My name is Mitchell Robert. I'm the executive chef and owner of Ameripaw Gangster Kitchens. We are a personalized in-home tasting menu experience here in Chicago, Illinois. Awesome. That's beautiful. And we're going to put all your info in the show notes for people to check out your kitchen. What do you usually say is your favorite food? My favorite food would definitely have to be sushi. I could eat Japanese or sushi constantly. Do you have a favorite roll? No, I like anything that has tuna in it. I'll, I'll crush mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I'm big on tuna, salmon, and I mean, I was going to say sweet potato, but any tempura. <laughs> yeah, literally <laughs> anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have a go-to sushi place in Chicago? Um, we, my fiance and I both really like, um, Osaka sushi, which is uh-huh. kind of ironic because it's actually, um, like to go, but honestly, uh-huh. it's like the best quality sushi in Chicago, in my opinion. That's good. cheap as hell. I mean, that's the dream when quality and yeah. <laughs> ice intersect in the good way. Right. Um, what's your favorite food and beverage pairing? Favorite food and beverage pairing, I would have to say, is fried chicken and champagne. Whoa. Tell me more yeah. about that. What's that experience like? I don't know. It's just like really crisp champagne. And then you got like your fatty, crispy, like chicken thing going on. It's just, to me, it's really, it's really just heaven. <laughs> is that celebratory or is that like a Tuesday night? I, whenever. <laughs> yeah. What's the For difference? For me, like, I, I don't really have celebratory food. Yeah aspects it's for me it's just like you live once eat as well yeah. as you can that's beautiful yolo <laughs> uh what about uh what's your favorite hot breakfast uh probably poached eggs yeah or like eggs in general just egg, eggs yeah. <laughs> yeah eggs are huge for me I, i'm a big poached fan i like the aesthetic of sunny side up but the practice like the eating practice of poach may be the best i feel like i could just eat a ton of poached eggs where if it's in any other form, it's kind of like limited. Yeah. I don't really understand why, but no. yeah. They've never touched the pan. Maybe that's it. <laughs> Do you pair those with other stuff? I'm sorry. Do you pair those with other stuff like toast or potatoes or anything? Uh, yeah. I mean, that is like eggs are like pretty much my breakfast food in general. Yeah. Um, but like it, it, there's no limitations. Like, grits or or toast or whatever yeah oh man eggs and grits are a fantastic combo um all right what's your favorite theme park or county fair or street festival food yeah this was a hard one for me because i haven't really been to any yeah um i would say the closest thing that i could relate to is like i i love farmers markets yeah like we go to the farmers market as much as we physically can and Mm -hmm. To me, that's close to a food festival. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, and I mean, farmers markets are probably old in real in real life, but I feel like in urban practice, they're like this is their decade or couple decades to shine. Yeah, for sure. Um, where I where did you grow up geographically? Um, I grew up in Nina, Wisconsin. Okay, cool. Uh, how far away is that from here? Um, from downtown Chicago, it's about four hours. Okay. Awesome. And did you grow up with farmer's markets or was that a Chicago experience for you? Oh, no, definitely. Um, my, my mom and I would go to the farmer's market, like try to like every weekend basically. But I think the biggest difference between Wisconsin farmer's markets and Chicago's farmer's markets are size. Yeah. Wisconsin ones are massive. 
Yeah. It's like street, like a street long. It's nuts. Yeah. Or here it's little, they're little pockets. Like unless it's green city, it's like tiny. Yeah. That's an interesting phenomenon of like when we, we have shared words that actually might not mean the, the same exact thing, right? You say farmer's market in Logan Square, that's going to be way different than your hometown, right? Like what the yeah. person mm-hmm. is visualizing even in their head. Or like yeah. I have a friend who lives in LA near, I don't know what it's called. I'm going to call it the LA farmer's market, but th- that's not the name. And it's permanent, right? Number one. And it's enormous. And then it sort of cascades into a surrounding mall. And when she was like, do you want to get lunch at the farmer's market? I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Because I'm picturing like, like, it's like nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. picturing like one booth for jam, one booth for sourdough bread. Do you know what I mean? This yeah. was like a mall food court that was outside. And I was like, okay, this is different. <laughs> yeah, I went to a, a farmer's market in Santa Santa Barbara, California. Uh-huh. And I, I was I was like drooling. I was like, in, I was so jealous. Like just yeah. the produce and all that in comparison is not comparable. Yeah. It's just not. <laughs> yeah. And like when I watch people on like cooking shows or TV, just in general, and they like go to markets and they're, it's just like produce and produce and produce and like fresh fish and stuff. I'm like, that must be imaginary, you know, like, cause I don't, that's not in my point of view or my yeah, little small circle. <laughs> wild um what's a food you eat to feel comforted honestly like nachos yeah like any or like anything with like tortilla chips yeah yeah (laughs) i think it was on another episode here i know it was i was talking about how like i love nachos and i love the experience of building them and eating them but like i also can like just take the bag of tortilla chips and destroy them, you know, in like 20 minutes. <laughs> it, they serve different purposes, different kinds of comfort, I think. We grew up, my grandma used to do the thing where she put um, refried beans on each tortilla chip, oh, you wow. know, daintily, and then yeah. put them down, put cheese on them, and then top one, each one with a single pickled jalapeno. And that I, sounds like, amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. It's sort of worth it to do, but it was also like an act of love, right? Like right, I'm gonna yeah. make perfect nachos for my family. It's adorable. Do you have any go-to nacho toppings? I mean, I love pickled jalapenos. Yeah. Um also like an absolute hot sauce fiend. Oh yeah. Yeah, I love hot sauce. Um that that would be the go-to, I would say. Yeah. Those two. In that farmer's market in LA that I was talking about, they have a store that's just a hot sauce store. And it's like, I mean, I don't know, 4,000 kinds. I, I'm making that number up, but it's something big. It's amazing. I could definitely never accomplish this, but I've always thought it'd be cool to go on hot ones. Yeah. Yeah. But I wouldn't make it like three, like three fourths of the way and I'd be dead. <laughs> Yeah. There's no way. I like things hot, but I can't, I don't think I would survive a competition, you know? Yeah, no. I, and we've, I've, we've gone to like those like hot sauce stores Yeah, and like I've bought crazy shit and yeah. we've tried it. And um, I'm trying to remember what the name of the one was. Oh, it was called like cat scratch or something. Uh-huh. And it, and it wasn't like, like the other one that I got was like um, sweet ghost or something like that. And it was like a sweet ghost. And I was, I was like crushing that. And it was ghost chip. Yeah. And it was delicious. The other one was a habanero and I was dying. Yeah. I took like one, I took like one like teaspoon on a spoon just to try it. And I was like pacing around the kitchen island because it was that hot. That's wild. And probably not like balanced with sweet. No, it juice. was just, yeah. it was disgusting. Just hot. <laughs> <laughs> Something you do once. Um, what's a food you eat when you're feeling under the weather? This is probably really generic, but chicken noodle soup. Yeah, it's the, my number one answer on here, but it's real. It's not imaginary, you know. Do you, do you make it do you, when you're sick or do you go for the store-bought? I mean, I really like, I don't know. There's something kind of therapeutic about making chicken noodle soup to me. Yeah. So I almost feel like the making of it 
along with the consumption is part of feeling better. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say that I'd make chicken noodle soup every single time. I'm yeah, sick, yeah. Because that's not realistic. <laughs> Sometimes you can't. But right. I, I would prefer to make it, yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. All right, here's something you already know a lot about, our big question. The namesake of the show, which is a classic base to many recipes, is mirepoix. This three-ingredient holy trinity takes many forms all over the globe and manifests in different ways. What is your mirepoix? What ingredients do you use on the regular to start a cooking process? Oh man, I love this question. Um, <laughs> I think it's funny because a lot. I think a lot of people just assume that um, with mirepoix being the first word of our name, that we use celery, carrots, and onions constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we we actually don't really that all that much. Um, we kind of took the name as it's the base to cuisine and our this food style that we're doing is our base to our cuisine. Yeah. Um, so we kind of took it on a very different thought process, but when we're, when, when I'm cooking something, I think the, my, I gravitate to like onions immediately. Um, onions, garlic, shallots, scallions, any of it. Um, yeah. but we also like, we have an insanely large, um, vegetarian clientele. So mm -hmm. I also gravitate to like miso and other fermented, ingredients to start kind of the cooking process to build up that that those layers of umami to like really get um the most flavor we can get for those people who can't have like a5 wagyu or or like foie gras um yeah. trying to like make vegetarian cuisine as good if not better than regular protein that's a beautiful thing that's a that's that's holy work <laughs> A, a bunch of vegetarians just thanked you listening, knowing how many, uh, you know, bowls of mild broth we've had at a wedding. <laughs> I mean, I've heard absolute horror stories from restaurants, from yeah. from our, our vegetarian clientele where they're just like, yeah, so we did this tasting menu and they served us just like boiled rice and potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. And if it was me, I would just be like, I'd be so angry. I'd be like, why yeah. did I spend $500 on this meal? Yeah get nothing no <laughs> yeah i'd be like give me my money back <laughs> well and even in like the context of like good or decent food my friend una always talks about like she can't eat one more marinated portobello mushroom sandwich because it was the only option for like 30 years at like sort of regular restaurants and it's like i've had my fill <laughs> yeah i mean even like i've gone to restaurants and have said that I'm vegetarian yeah. just to see what it's like. Yeah. Um, and, and not even like on top of that, like we have clients who like, they don't like mushrooms, uh -huh. vegetarian clients that don't like mushrooms. We have Like all those go-to chef ingredients that people yes. use to make entree. Yes. A lot of them don't like it. Yeah. How do you work around that? We get the very creative, I guess yeah. is the best way to say it. <laughs> like we've, we've done some pretty cool stuff with that. Car carrots, um, yeah. where we, we took a, a beautiful heirloom carrot and we salted it or we, we, um, cleaned it, peeled, peeled it, continued to peel it and salted it to make it a little more malleable huh. and then wrapped it into a rose, tied that and then seared both sides like a steak and then basted it in, um, vegetarian butter. Oh my God. I want that. And it, it literally comes out like super caramelized and yeah. almost steak-like. That's amazing. I feel like carrots are having a moment right now. I don't know <laughs> if that's true or not. I'm not actually in the industry, but I'm seeing like fancy carrots on a lot of menus and I'm enjoying it. I mean, I think in general, I would say, um, I think it has a lot to do with current world situation. Um, chefs are becoming very creative with, low priced ingredients and they should be yeah like there's no reason why you can't take maripois yeah take those three ingredients and translate it into some high-end dish yeah that's right why not i feel like they did it with like watermelon salad 15 years ago you know <laughs> that was everything every comes back eventually oh i'm sure yeah that's right that's right um this is sort of related but different. See, this is what's interesting about interviewing you is you have a vocational food practice and a domestic uh, food practice, right? So this question you could answer in a multitude of ways. 
what's in your fridge? What are the items that you can always find in your kitchen or pantry? Oh man, that's, that's, I have friends that come, come to our, our, our house and they're just like, um, it's like walking to a candy store, I guess, to them. Um, cause we have like 20 different types of, hot, of soy sauce or yeah. like, it's just like that, that I could answer that. I could just list it. It's nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, and it changes so often. Um, yeah. cause we're writing our menus weekly. So every single week it's a completely different tasting menu. Wow. Um, so like one week I might have, you know, squash and this and that and this and that. And the next week I might have something completely different and it's so seasonally driven that mm-hmm. like, last week we could have gotten really good heirloom tomatoes and this week we might not be able to. So it's just, it's so all over the place. Um, but I would say like in general, we always have onions. We always have some sort of like soy sauce or miso or something like that. Um, I think probably the most interesting thing is, is we went completely dairy free. So we have like dairy free butter and cream. Most people don't cook with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think, I think really the options are endless for that question. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. I sometimes only have like three things in my fridge. You probably never only have three things in your fridge, right? But we just, we do so much R&D at our apartment that like, yeah, it's kind of a weird hodgepodge of a lot. I believe it. I believe it. All right. Some uh, sort of, uh, questions about the past. Uh, you're nine years old. Who's in your kitchen? Who's doing the cooking? And what are they making? It was me, actually. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I started cooking out of necessity. Uh, my parents got divorced at a really young age, and my mom was working like three jobs. Yeah. So she like couldn't cook, and I just kind of like started doing it and kind of more of a, on a side of uh, it being a distraction yeah. um, from school, from the divorce and all that. Yeah. Uh, I kind of realized that I liked it and was good at it. And that's pretty much where I started cooking. Yeah. And what did you use to make back then? Oh, this is all over the place. Um, yeah. Pasta, steak, like, uh, yeah, I started really simple and then eventually it started like developing into like, I wouldn't say anything like what I cook today because it wasn't sure. <laughs> um, more elevated food for a nine-year-old, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say certainly more than your peers probably, right? That's right. That's amazing. Um, all right. If we aren't eating blank, then it isn't blank. Um, I would have to say, I love Thanksgiving, so (laughs) Thanksgiving, and it would have to be the obvious answer, which is turkey. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's central. (laughs) It's perfect. It's the, it's the right thing to have. (laughs) Yeah. It's a good size. It's a classic taste. It apparently goes with everything. I feel like that's a wild thing about Thanksgiving as a practice is like, it is especially the time no one cares if their food touches and they also intentionally are making their food touch. Right. Oh man. Like I think better than Thanksgiving is the day after. Yes. Like I love making, um, I call them Thanksgiving paninis, which is basically just bread that had everything that you had on Thanksgiving between it. Amazing. Griddle it. Yeah. We've been known to do some like leftover casseroles, like figure out what can be mixed together and then put the mashed potato on top. You know, you can get pretty creative on, especially on like day three, when you're like, this food has to go, you know? I also like, uh, like, uh, Thanksgiving pot pie is a great one. Yeah. Like, cause you got all the gravy, the, yeah. the, the chicken, like sometimes you have like, uh, vegetables or whatever you had yeah. and you just put all that together and put pie crust over the top of it. It's like amazing. It's the dream. When I was working at Starbucks many years ago, they had put out the, it was called like grandma's turkey sandwich. And it was turkey, cranberry sauce and stuffing. I think I remember. 
Yeah. And I was like, that's interesting because we've all eaten that as leftovers one million yeah. times. But now no, I'm going to eat plastic. <laughs> it was good. Um, speaking of celebrations, it's a celebration. How did you know your family was going all out with food? What restaurants did you go to? What plates came out of the cupboard? How big was the spread? I mean, food has always been huge and not only my family, but also my fiance's family. Um, yeah. So like if it was a celebration, food was the center of all of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, a lot of times it was more of a barbecue situation. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty obvious. There's, you know, beer and, 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 you know, whatever that we were cooking and like just snacks and all that. So like, it was like the whole day was the whole idea was just to eat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like the, the eating is the event, right? The eating is the celebration. Yeah. <laughs> You're celebrating yeah. eating. That's right. Did you learn barbecue as early as you did, uh, cooking? I mean, I knew how to grill things. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say that, like, I, I would say really for like cooking on fire, it was really honed in when I, I worked at Royster in Chicago. Okay. Um, working, you know, seven, six to seven days a week on a, a fire driven cookery situation, like completely molds you as a chef completely different than just saute pans on a range. Yeah. It's a completely different learning experience. That's right. Yeah. Like I'm, I am not, I, I do not cook for a living. I feel relatively confident in the kitchen, like relatively, I feel zero confident anywhere near open fire. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's so all over the place. Yeah. Like you, you the moment you think, Oh, I'm going to put this here and it's going to cook really nice. You're wrong. Yeah. The wind, the wind changes if you're outside yeah. or like even like a singular piece of wood will burn differently than the rest of it. Yeah. And something could seem really, really um, mellow as far as fire and then and not be, it might be the complete opposite and it might burn everything. Yeah. It's just, it's just, I guess the best way it's wild. It's a wild way of cooking. It's wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. And is that like scary to you? Is it thrilling? I mean, I don't know. Not it's kind of. I think it's cool. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, there's there's a different level of flavor that is imparted by cooking on fire. Yeah. Um, and you can't really mimic it. Yeah. Um, everyone loves barbecue and smoked things and charred chicken and stuff like that like everyone loves that so like if you open a restaurant that has wood fire you're gonna be popular yeah. but um as far as like does it scare me i mean i've gotten third degree burns from fire so yeah. not anymore right. <laughs> it's a great way of saying it. <laughs> uh, been there done that you know <laughs> that's right did you see there's these trends right now online of like and i actually don't know what you have to do to say you've smoked something, but these trends of like smoked cream cheese and smoked feta, which really the people are rubbing spices all over and putting it in really high heat in their oven. So I don't know if that is anywhere close to smoking something. I would say it's not. Yeah. Right. No. <laughs> that sounds like, I think the coolest, the coolest thing that I could relate to with that um, was actually at Royster. Um, they took like, they made, creme fraiche uh -huh. and then they took like white hot coals from the fire and dumped it into the creme fraiche and then strained it out oh and it literally burnt the cream but it imparted all that like smoke ash flavor to the cream oh. it was amazing like, like that's absolutely nice. delicious that's amazing and what was that served with uh, they made a few things with it actually um if I can remember correctly, they used it for like a vinaigrette for a salad. Uh -huh. um, I know they are currently making burnt ice cream the same way. Oh, uh huh. They just took the cream, burnt the cream, and then made the ice cream base out of it. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. That's like the kind of innovation that really astounds me. And I know it's because it's out of my skill set, but at, like very far out of my skill set. But I, that kind of stuff just blows my mind. I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even relate it to the skill set. I yeah. think it's just innovation. It's just thoughts. Yeah. Like yeah. 
oh, what would happen if I put coals in cream? Right. You know, it's just like a thought process like that. And a yeah. lot of those, a lot of times it's not even like, it's almost on accident. Yeah. Or even like really that minute. Like there's a lot of times where I'll be cooking something and at that specific second, I'm just like, maybe we should do this. Yeah. And we do it and it's awesome. Yeah. Or we do it and it sucks. It doesn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can go both ways. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, that's the funny thing. I feel like civilians a lot of times think about like creativity or artistry with food as like mostly thinking about plating when like actually some of the most creative things that happen are what you just described, right? Like experimenting with flavor or with heat or with how things actually even come into existence. Oh, definitely. Um, I would say plating could be taught to a point. Yeah. I could kind of teach someone how to plate something. Yeah. It's going to take years of doing it before they're good at it. Yeah. It's just, it's just like, paint. I would say plating is like painting. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, um, you could kind of teach somebody to paint. I mean, that people have been doing it for years. Um, yeah. But it's going to take years of plating and plating and plating and plating and plating yeah. to kind of develop a, your own style, but also learn the techniques of doing it correctly. Yeah. But when it comes to like conceptualizing flavor, mm -hmm. you either have that or you don't have it. Right. Right. That's interesting. I mean, you could still learn that, but again, yeah. the true, like, the cool stuff, the stuff that, that makes everyone like, oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah. It's not taught really. Right. It just kind of happens. It's natural. Right. That's why it's so good. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And, and there's something about inspiration there, right? Like that, like inspiration. Yeah. May, like maybe you can cultivate you can cultivate spaces and routines that bring inspiration to you, but like sometimes you just have to keep your sort of brain open to the mysteries of the universe. Right. I mean, like I write tons of menus. I mean, that's just like yeah. the business we run. Um, and you know, I, I'll be honest, some of it feels forced. Sure. Um, is the food good? Yeah. Um, but are the dishes that are just, the ones that just like pop in your head yeah. or you see something and you're like, that would be really cool. Let's do it this way. Yeah. Or some stuff that that stuff is the stuff that's just truly like amazing. Like it yeah. turns out good. It just feels right. And I would say that's a lot of, a lot of our cooking, I would say is, is what feels right. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, what food for you is home? What recipes do you hope are on the table when you visit family? Oh man, I love chili. I would say chili. Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's and, and any like particular chili ingredients that are essential to you or innovative to you? Uh, I wouldn't really say so. I mean, I don't know. If you're living in the Midwest, I think you've all kind of had the same thing. Yeah. Um, it's like, is it on noodles or is it alone? Is yeah, it it's one or the other, alone? really. Yeah. <laughs> um, I again, with rounding back to the hot sauce thing, I just like yeah. spicy food, yeah. I guess. So I put hot sauce in everything. That's beautiful. I'm a big fan of Fritos on top of chili. Ooh, I like that. So good. <laughs> of course it is, but like, come on, it's hardly innovation. It's more like just putting another fat on top of a fat on top of a fat, right? I mean, it's like the person who decided to take Fritos and chop them up and bread chicken with it. Yeah. Genius. Genius. <laughs> yeah. Yes. My grandma used to make something called like upside down Frito pie. And it was like a simply a chili, but like very mild. She's from, she was yeah. from Ohio. And I actually don't even remember what it was. I do remember there were sliced black olives on the bottom of the pan so that when you flipped it over, they were on the top. Okay. And there was ground beef and there was Fritos. <laughs> I mean, so, like if you, if you were to cook some of the stuff that, that we ate as kids to present day kids, they would just turn up their nose and walk away. Yeah. They just would not be down with that. 
There is some more. We we love it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, both like sort of um, stunted 80s, 90s progression of food, but then also like 50s wackety whack. Everything set in aspic. Yes. Um, Yeah. I have a friend that sends me um, pictures on Instagram of that stuff. Cause he yeah. was like, he always jokes with me that he wants to like write a cookbook that is like modern day interpretations of like fifties dishes. Yes. <laughs> I've seen one that's like a lemon aspic with green olives and ham in it. And I'm like, that sounds so sick to me, but I bet people ate it. You know? Yeah. I, I, I can't. A lot of that stuff. I just like read the description and I just didn't like, why would you do that? No. Yeah. The best part about all of that is like, I mean, obviously the shock value, but also the way they took pictures of food back then is yeah. like, un, it's un, incomparable, uncomparable, can be compared with nothing. Yeah, uh, no, <laughs> they're like both so beautiful and disgusting at the same time. It's almost like they had to put more effort into it because if they just took a picture like how we would do it today of just a plate of food. Yeah. Nobody would have eaten it. No. Nobody would have looked at that recipe book and been like, let's make that. Yeah. Well, and that probably also has to do with like access. Now we're really going to change it, but access to photography, right? Because oh, yeah. like right around then, it wasn't super common to have your own camera you brought with you places. Now it's the end of civilization where you can I mean, take- even on that, like we have like a full photography setup and I find that my iPhone takes better photos. Yeah. It's wild. It's kind of sad, actually. (laughs) It's also wild because, like, there's, like, no matter how many photo shoots a restaurant does right now, the most circulated photos of their food are by the civilians, right? Oh, yeah. And they're not great. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When you're bored, if you haven't seen it already, you should look up that some BuzzFeed article that's like, Martha Stewart needs to stop taking pictures of her food. (laughs) like 10 years ago she was taking really terrible pictures of the food she was eating and it's bad like really really bad (laughs) she is not a food photographer i'll put that in the show notes too um (laughs) all right fill in the blank what americans don't understand about blank is blank i love this question also good um what Americans don't understand about the restaurant industry is the amount of effort it t- takes to put into one item on a plate that you're eating. Yeah. It's like hours. Right. Like that people don't understand that restaurant, like really high, specifically really high end restaurants, the staff, the kitchen staffs there sometimes from six in the morning yeah. to be well after you ate your meal and well after the place is closed. Yeah. We're working like 12 hour shifts. Yeah. So like for me, like to hear like any amount of uh, anything from like a guest who, if the, if the comment isn't genuine, genuine, or like if we truly messed up, yeah, that's completely fair. But if it's anything outside of that, it's just, you don't understand. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. And uh, when people are like, oh, I could do that. No, you couldn't. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. 90% of the population could. Also, why are you here then if you could, you know? Yeah. <laughs> why are you paying me to cook for you if you could have just done it? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. People are wild. I mean, Americans in particular. Like, I waited tables for a long time. And I mean, the number of my customers who thought like they were my only customer had to be like 80% of them. Like they really didn't believe I had anything to do. They really thought like I was out to get them, you know, like mm-hmm. if I brought the wrong sandwich to their table, they like literally took it as a personal affront. And I was like, you're wasting a lot of energy on me. And not, like not even just that, like people make mistakes. Yes. Like, yeah. And, and people make more mistakes in under in other industries, but they like get completely glazed over. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but like the restaurant industry can't make mistakes, unfortunately. 
in the right. eyes of the consumer. Um, I mean, they really can't because like if, if you serve somebody who has a peanut allergy, peanuts, they're dead. Well, right. Yeah. But at the same time, like the minimal things, those small mistakes that people fixate on are so minimal in comparison to a lot of things. It's so wild. And like the like partner of that is like customer perception of wait time is wild. Right. Like waiting 15 minutes for something is not a very long time, but try telling that to half America. And on that subject of you waited 15 minutes for a dish that maybe took five hours to actually conceptually make. Yeah. So your your, um, smoked brisket that took 24 hours, if it took me 15 minutes to package it and give it to you, there's no comparison. I worked with a host who was really good at doing the following thing. People would complain to her about wait times and she... I don't know how she did it without making people mad, but she would remind in this very careful way to the person who was complaining about wait times. You, she basically said, you haven't been waiting that long for your food. You've been waiting a long time since you got here, put your name on the list, waited outside, sat down, ordered your coffee, got your coffee, put in your order, got your food. But between putting in your order and your food, it's actually only been like 10 minutes. And yeah. there was something about her personality that she could communicate that to people and they actually received it really well. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> but that I, perception is huge, yeah. right? Like yeah. people include how long it took to park in their car in that sort of perception. Like the whole experience is the time period rather right. than, sir, can I get the chicken? And then the clock starts and it doesn't even, the clock doesn't start when you say you want the chicken. The clock starts when they go back to the POS system, ring it in and go, it goes through the ticketing machine, goes to the rest of the yes. kitchen, the person in the kitchen reads the ticket. And then maybe at that second, the cook will put the chicken in the pan. Right. The, that's, that's like, five, that's maybe two to three minutes alone. Right. Right let alone if they have to ask for clarification about the strange sort of notes on the ticket or whatever. Yeah, the, 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 the like 30 item do not add list. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. My God. Well, I'm sure we have a lot of people empathizing with you right now. Um, what's a food or cuisine that you found in your adult life that changed how you thought about food? Honestly, Indian food. Yeah. Just like the the combination of spices and different ingredients to, to have an, a very different end result is, is yeah. insane. Yeah. Like you would think it would be going one direction, but it's not. Yeah. And then you get like this amazing like curry or, yeah. or like even like I would say like non bread is a great example of that. Like you make this like very simple dough and then you cook it and it's amazing. Yeah. Like mine simple. Like, yeah. Yeah. Then you could, you're just like, how is, how is the, this flat tortilla looking bread better than the sourdough bread that, that took me like six months to make. Yeah. It's confusing. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And it's just like the, it's the, 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 um, like building of flair, flavor levels. And you can almost taste every single one. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of like, yeah, flavor building and time and like heat control. I feel like in South Asian cooking that might be unparalleled. Yeah. And alive. I would also like, I would almost fold into that question also like Thai food. Oh yeah. Thai was the one that I remember like being the first food I had like in eight for me in like eighth grade and being like, Oh, I like this. This is for me. You know, like I uh, attached yeah. <laughs> a sense of identity to it, which is, funny. I like, I mean, it's Not such like, a mim- minimal, it's such a minimum. Mim- uh, yeah. <laughs> You're nailing such it. a small yeah. um, item from yeah. Thai food, but like a bon me. Yeah. Like, Vietnamese, it's yeah. just nuts. It's just a sandwich, but just like the ingredients added to that on on a beautiful baguette is just nuts. 
Bond me is can save a day. <laughs> if you're having a rough day, go to a Vietnamese bakery and get yourself a bond me. It's like instant happiness. It's instant happiness. That's right. Um, what's your biggest recipe fail? Oh man. Um, I mean, there's obviously like, you know, cooking, a lot of cooking, there's failure. Um, some of the, some of the best dishes I've ever made have been failure Yeah. where I thought it was going to turn out one way and it turned out a different way and it was really good. Yeah. Um, if I had to pick like a specific, like this was really fucked up. Um, I tried to make sourdough just like everyone else during COVID and I could not for the life of me get it to like ferment properly. It just yeah. died and died and died and died. And it almost felt like my soul at that current moment. Yeah. <laughs> Where the sourdough starter was Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we were putting a lot of ourselves into a lot of our cooking <laughs> there. Yeah. While, right? That's right. Yeah. I don't mess with sourdough. That feels like science. <laughs> no, bread's so hard. That was like probably one of the the largest learning curves for me. Yeah. Bread in general. It's 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 far beyond pastry. Yeah. Yeah. There's so a, it should almost be categorized by itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I watch the British baking show. Anything can go wrong with bread. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 from what I've learned is like temperature is your biggest enemy. Yeah. If it's too hot, it's not going to work. If it's too cold, it's not going to work. And like every goddamn bread has a completely different relationship with the oven, right? I mean, actually, yeah. maybe the loaves themselves, but like the types of bread too, right? So wild. Yeah, I'm okay with buying bread at the store. I'll, I'm, I feel safer. <laughs> I mean, I, I look at it this way. There's, there's a really amazing bakers out there just yeah. buy something from them yeah 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 it's not lazy to support an artisan right yeah, no <laughs> it's actually probably better yeah for everybody for everybody um what's a recipe hack that you found that you'll always stick with um hollandaise and a vitamix oh tell just me more with, uh, did that end up the heating egg it? yolks and the lemon juice and whatever else you want to put in it yeah. in the in the Vitamix, turn it on, have your butter hot and pour the butter through the top while it's vortexing. Makes hollandaise. Oh, <laughs> and Vitamix is like I've, how many times I've had to like whisk it by hand and then I learned that you could make it in a in a Vitamix, I just my mind was melted. <laughs> no, total game changer. Yeah. But I feel like the number of people who've cried over a double a hot double boiler. Ruining yeah. your holiday sauce is many. I mean, if I would have known that, like when I was in culinary school, I would have just like did that, even though yeah. I probably would have got yelled at doing that. But yeah. <laughs> that's the problem with school. They want you to learn. This is true for yeah. like all arts. They want you to learn the right way, even if you're going to not do it later. Or you're I think like like I, I don't want to speak ill about education or anything like yeah. that. But culinary school is a waste of time. Yeah. Um, you go and you learn what they think you should learn, uh, yeah. um, even if you feel like you don't get the most out of it, which was kind of my situation. Yeah. Um, and then you go work in the restaurant industry, and every single chef that you work for completely reteaches you how to do things. Yeah. And honestly, most of the times, it's a better way of doing it. Right. Maybe the thing you learn in culinary school is how to learn things fast before a whole bunch of people make me learn things fast. <laughs> I, I wish that was true. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like, yeah, it's still just, it's the fundamentals. If you know the fundamentals, don't go to culinary school. Right. Yeah. If you can already cut those onions yeah. as fast as whoever that, yeah, that's good advice or that's your, your good advice. I, I can't, <laughs> <laughs> I can't say nothing about it. Um, what's a recipe that you highly recommend and what makes it special? Oh man. That's also a hard one. I don't use recipes. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. There is one. Um, there's Japanese milk bread. Uh-huh. Super easy to make for the most part. Um, yeah. But it turns out, like, if you like really like fluffy, squishy bread, that's yeah. that's my go-to for sure. That's awesome. What makes it different? I mean, it's fluffy and squishy. Anything else that sort of makes it unique or the process unique? It's really just a process. I don't yeah. think I've ever seen bread made like that before. Um, and also, like, in the name milk, there's a decent amount of dairy in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think kind of adds to the uh, the lusciousness of it, I guess. I love that. But it is really just, like, very spongy. It's a very spongy, yeasty bread. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what chef or food practitioner do you recommend looking into? I have two. Great. Um, first, Rene Redzepi from Noma in uh-huh. Copenhagen, who is just like taking, I don't want to use farm to table, but regionality yeah. to like an absolute extreme. Yeah. Um, trying to use ingredients that are just local to him, which is super hard in a place that's negative degrees half the year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other one would be Sean Brock from Husk. Okay. Um, who's kind of doing the same thing, but he's focusing on on um, basically seed, I guess is a great way of saying it, like seed saving, uh, oh, yeah. where he's trying to save air, the original heirloom variety of yes. corn or whatever. Um, I just think both those kind of mindsets of being a chef are it's like super important. Um, for the last couple of years, I feel like people have kind of strayed away from that. And have been just like, is it weird? Is it unique? Is it exotic? Let me put it on a menu. And that's just, that's cool. You know, like anyone can do that, but try to cook food that's regional and you're going to have a very hard time with it. And you're going to realize that, that farming isn't farming anymore. Right. That finding the ingredients you want that are regional, is going to be a lot harder. But once you get those ingredients, the flavor is just tenfold. Yeah. Which just like rounds back to like farmers markets, like go buy food from a farmer that is operating in your state. Yeah. Like I can't strive that enough because a, you're supporting the farmer, you're supporting your local economy, but also you're eating food. That's just going to be better for you. Tastes better. And, and ultimately like that's going to save the world. Yeah. It's the, it's the large, GMO bullshit that's just gonna like no wonder everyone's getting cancer or right. like all sorts of diseases like right. you're eating crap and you don't even realize it like yeah. even organic is bullshit right right that's right yeah we're pretty fucked <laughs> yeah for real <laughs> <laughs> and unless someone like heavily changes anything, it's not going to get much. Better. Yeah. 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 Well, on um, a, a positive note, what are you working on right now, food related or not, that you want to share with listeners? So I'm just going to say it once again. Um, yeah. So Ameripog Easter Kitchens, we, we do personalized tasting menus. So we get information from our clients write a curated menu to their tastes, likes, dislikes, whatever. Like, I mean, we've made high-end pizza, um, Tostino pizza rolls. Like there's nothing off the table. That's Um, we then actually bring that tasting menu to your front door. We bring everything to your house, set up a tasting menu in your house and cook for you inside your own home. So you don't have to go anywhere. Um, something that we're doing that's really cool, um, is we just started a collaboration with this, this brewery that isn't even open in Chicago yet. They're building their tap house right now. Wow. Uh, it's called Odious Cellars. Oh, uh-huh. Um, and we're writing a 10-course tasting menu paired with Odious Cellars beer. One of those beers is actually a collaboration that we did with them. It's called Zenith. Whoa. Um, and it's a strawberry um, and cherry blossom and Himalayan salt sour whoa yeah that's really awesome awesome. we put 200 pounds of strawberry in a beer holy (laughs) shit (laughs) that is so awesome so is that will will those can eventually people pair them 
together at their homes or at the brewery or where is that sort of it's it's, it's exactly what our current concept is where it's like an in-home tasting menu so we bring yeah. the, we bring the food and the plates and all that but we also bring the beer pairing that's amazing that's really cool and that's such like a beautiful service to be offering during well now two years of uh very strange in and out at home out of out and about sort of chaos yeah. that's such a lovely thing and I noticed on your website too, like it sounds like you're very committed to cleanliness and leaving the space. Oh, yeah. We're very, uh, restored. We're both my, myself and my fiance Emily. We're both kind of clean freaks. Nice. Um, so like we're we're coming into your home and we're gonna leave it how we found it. Yeah. Honestly, probably maybe better. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's beautiful. Speaking of beautiful, also the images alone on your Instagram and on your website are like absolutely gorgeous. Um, Thank I can't. You. I mean, I want to recommend people to look at the images of your work to like feel at peace because <laughs> that's how I felt when I looked at them. I'm sure that's not how you feel when you're making them, but um, they're just so <laughs> lovely. I mean, I would say the end result might feel like that. Yeah. Maybe not the conceptual part of it, but but when I played something and, and, and I really am happy with it, yeah, I would say it feels like that. That's beautiful. Well, Mitchell, thank you so much for doing this. Um, it was an, a delight and an honor. Thank, thank you for having me again. Thank you for joining me on Mirepoix Podcast. And thank you to our house band, Siblings, for the use of their song, Jars. I invite you to subscribe to financially support Mirepoix directly on Anchor and to follow me on Instagram where you can receive behind-the-scenes content about this podcast and my own food practice. Till we feast again.